Hi, my name is Rodrigo. And this is Ryan. And this is the Ether Podcast. And today we are delving into Mark 6, uh, verses 30 through 56. In this passage are two of Jesus' most popular miracles, most well-known miracles. One being the feeding of the 5,000 and the other one walking on water, which I always think is very impressive. But not, we're not really talking about that today because I think within the story, to me, the most intriguing part is basically what are the disciples thinking? Absolutely. Uh, just, just to give you a little bit of context here as to where we have been in the story and where we are now, the apostles have now come back from their missionary journey that they were sent to. And they seem to be pretty popular now. And part because of that reason, they seem to be attending to so many people that they don't even have time to eat. So Jesus wants to take a time out, take him away to a solitary place. They get on a boat and lo and behold, when they get to that solitary place, there's this huge crowd waiting for them. And so basically the trip was wasted and Jesus begins to teach all these people. And now it's late and people are hungry and the apostles go, Hey, we got to send these people away and because they need to eat. And Jesus says, you feed them. And then they feed them miraculously from five pieces of bread and two fish. And then Jesus sends them off and then catches up with them by walking on water. And of course. Of course. In true Jesus style. And uh, the disciples, once they see him walking on water, they get scared. And Jesus tells them, hey, chill out. It's just me. But the really important part that we want to talk about here is that the passage specifically said that the disciples did not understand and that their hearts were hard, Ryan Novak. And so what we want to talk about for this podcast is in part, why would their hearts be hard? And I want to say this off the bat. I think this is part of what uh, falls under the realm of biblical speculation because we don't know. But I think the text gives us some clues. And this is one of the few times that we're going to at least when I get to discuss this, I'm going to touch a little bit about on the other Gospels because the other Gospels give us some really good clues. But yeah, like, we are going to talk a little bit about like, hey, what were they thinking? And then we're going to talk a little bit more about what we addressed in the video. So without further ado, Ryan, Noah, do you have any thoughts as to why they were hard-hearted? I mean, seriously, what were they thinking? <laughs> I, you know, I, I went back through the first part of Mark to try and get a better idea of what's going on, what, what could be their frame of mind. And the, the gospel starts out with Jesus coming on the scene and he gets this just incredible introduction that God speaks from heaven and identifies this as Jesus, which is amazing. I used to watch WWE wrestling as a kid. <laughs> and some of those guys had amazing introductions, right. but nothing compares to the voice of God identifying this as my son. And we also hear that John is going around telling people about Jesus before he shows up and says, I'm not even worthy to untie this guy's shoes. And then we see the baptism of Jesus and, and God identifying Jesus as his son and you're who I love. And so as a reader, you're going, this guy's amazing. And he hasn't even done anything yet. But Jesus shows up, gets this amazing introduction, and he launches his ministry. 
He starts gathering people around him and he starts preaching in a way that just amazes people that every time he goes and talks to a group of people, it says that they were amazed at his teaching. And he even states the reason that he came was to preach the good news. But he taught people about the kingdom, what it was, what it is, and what it looks like to be a part of the kingdom of God. And as he's teaching, in the midst of this, you get these nine, depending on how you count, these nine miraculous episodes kind of sprinkled in there with him casting out uh, what the Bible calls impure spirits, at least in the NIV, it calls them impure spirits. Uh, He's healing all these different kinds of diseases and he's raising people from the dead. Right. He's raising people from the dead and they're in there and they're watching these things. And with everything that he does, whether it's speaking, whether it's uh, um, doing a miracle, whether it's meeting with people, he was continually defying any expectation that they had at all that he clashed with the Pharisees, his family thought he was out of his mind. And so then we get to this point where he identifies the 12 and he sends them out. And it says that he gave them authority over impure spirits and they drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. So that to say, there's a lot that has happened up until this point. And here they come back from what we imagine is a pretty successful time away from Jesus. It said that they drove out many demons and healed people. Right. That sounds pretty good. And (laughs) then the next thing we read about is Jesus saying, why don't you feed these 5,000 people? And they balk. Right. And I, I personally didn't have a problem with them balking. I'm a fairly pragmatic guy. <laughs> You're a fairly pragmatic fellow. Sure. And I think that what the, they're doing is looking at a situation and saying, all right, how do we fix this thing? How do we solve this thing? Because one of the reasons Jesus defied expectation is that people just don't expect miracles. People don't just expect these things to happen. and perhaps that's what the Bible is saying is you need to expect these things to happen when God is involved or when Jesus is is involved, you need to expect these things. You need to expect the unexpected, which is always tough. I mean, the reason it's unexpected is because you aren't thinking it's going to happen. And so I thought it was very realistic. You know, even though he's doing some amazing things, I don't think the natural assumption is that Jesus was going to break out a miracle in every situation. Yeah. And, you know, just to add to some of what you were saying about what's happened up until now, one of the things that I was thinking about is that, um, especially them going on this mission trip that Jesus sends them to. I think one of the interesting things that I was thinking about was, especially on the tail of that particular episode, where they go from being a spectator, basically from seeing Jesus do all these amazing things to now them participating in performing these amazing things. I mean, driving out evil spirits is pretty unbelievable. And them healing sick people, albeit with anointing oil, whatever that is, I want some of that. Uh, 
is also pretty incredible. So for them to go from, we just came back from this trip that was amazing and it was life-changing and it was unbelievable and we did things that we never thought we would be able to do to now this situation that is also a little bit incredible and overwhelming and for them to not necessarily think, man, I just came from this trip and I did amazing things. Why couldn't there be something amazing here? And I think one of the reasons I think is could be very human in exactly what you said. I think most of the time we're thinking of to solutions to problems in very human ways. And even the offer that they give of, hey, do you want us to go spend all this money to feed these people? Which was a lot of money. But one of the the things that I read and researched, and I think one of the things that is a great clue as to where their mindset was, John 6, the feeding of the 5,000, first of all, is the only miracle of Jesus that all four gospel authors write about which tells you that this everybody in the early Christians thought that this was a pretty amazing thing and worthy to be included in all four Gospels. But John 6 tells us in recounting this episode that after Jesus feeds the 5,000, the crowd reacts in a way in which they forcefully are trying to make him king. And we've talked about this before. And here, this whole idea rears its ugly head again, in a sense, that what people were expecting was an actual king. And so if the crowd had that mindset, I don't find it uh, beyond a reasonable, uh, beyond reason for the apostles to have the same mindset, especially coming from this trip where they're probably feeling like, hey, man. We're now raising an army. We went to all these places to talk about Jesus. We told all these villages about him. Now all these people from all these villages are coming to see us. Look at this crowd that's waiting for us from this boat. You know, the other interesting tidbit, Ryan Novak, in, in, this, in this passage, when they arrive and Jesus sees the crowd, it says that Jesus had compassion on them because they were like a sheep without a shepherd. Mm -hmm. One of the interesting things about that phrase, in the Old Testament, the context of that same phrase is always a military one. Okay. So whenever Israel is about to face a foe and they're not organized, the expression is there that says, Israel were sheep without a shepherd and God sends somebody to basically prepare them for war. So the, the context for as much as we sort of get this picture of like Jesus hugging like a sheep with a lot of care and love in Hebrew culture, the phrase was mostly associated with basically an army that needed to be organized and prepared for war. And that's, for example, the case in uh, Joshua. That's the case, I think, in uh, with Moses. Like, he had the same thing. And so there's a reference in the Old Testament to Israel being like a sheep without a shepherd. Now, the interesting thing, though, 
is that this particular passage with Mark is very interesting because Jesus' reaction isn't to necessarily prepare them for war necessarily, but it says that out of compassion, he began to teach them many things, which basically tells you that from the get-go, even though this phrase is included in there, maybe Mark maybe did it on purpose, here is this phrase that we usually refer to for war, but what Jesus did was teach them. And you can take that, I think, in one of two ways. Either Jesus was very, uh, or Mark was trying to make the point of like, hey, Jesus wasn't this military leader. He was a spiritual one. Or you could also say that Jesus felt like he was preparing them for quote-unquote spiritual warfare. But I think in, in, that, in that verse, and in, in just juxtaposing this idea of sheep without a shepherd, Phrase usually referred to some kind of military context preparing Israel for war, but Jesus teaches. I think that is sort of breaking the tension in this idea that here, here's this crowd thinking that Jesus is going to be king and we're going to force him to be king and lead our troops, but Jesus is here for something completely different. And I'm saying all this to basically say that more, more in the most likely scenario is that the apostles' mindset wasn't very far from that one, that here's this thing happening, and probably what they're expecting is like, here is the perfect moment in which Jesus raises an army, and instead what he does is that he teaches, and he performs a miracle, and then he walks on water, and they may be bewildered because their expectations is in one place, and then all these things happen, and they don't connect. I've never heard the military analogy before. Uh, I was looking up some of the verses and I can see it showing up. It shows up more in uh, particular translations, it seems like, with the NIV as opposed to the uh, English standard version. But I think that my inclination when I read it is it's a familiar statement to an agrarian society of people who understood what that meant. And I imagine it was probably a colloquialism that they used personally, but I'm not quite the biblical scholar that some of these other guys are. And so I'll defer to, to their, (laughs) their wisdom. Um, but I think that it definitely goes into showing Jesus setting himself up as I am the shepherd that in the old Testament, men were trying to lead themselves and trying to decide what they felt was right. We've talked about this a bunch of, of them choosing right for wrong for themselves. And they were doing it without a shepherd. And Jesus saw them. And here again, Israel, like sheep without a shepherd, right? I'm coming in and I'm going to be the shepherd and I'm going to take over that role and that responsibility because I, Jesus, Yahweh in the old Testament, I, I was always, the shepherd and you never saw me as the shepherd. And it's always this, this image of Jesus reaffirming who he is, that I am God and I am a version that you weren't expecting before. And I think that if that statement is a military related uh, illusion, then, then it makes sense to Jesus saying, look, y'all are missing, missing the point of I, God, am the shepherd. I am the one 
leader that you need, that you don't need a military leader, that this is not about raising armies. This is not about creating some nationalistic group. This is about love and care and compassion for each other. And so what do we see? We see Jesus telling his guys, let's show them compassion that we're in a situation where these people have no one to lead them. I'm here to lead them and I'm going to lead by having you show them compassion, take care of their needs, help them with what they need, take care of what, what is going to, uh, to meet their, their needs for food. Uh, it seemed like some sort of rest was required, um, that they'd been running and coming quickly. Um, so they probably didn't have all their supplies and, and belongings. And so you take care of them, that that's our role. Um, and so I, I think you're right that, that there's this, this conflict in their minds of them saying, who exactly is this Jesus and what is he requiring of me? But I thought I had an understanding of our role. And I thought we, this was some military kind of thing. And Jesus, again, defying expectations. Y'all are missing the point. We're not raising an army. We're teaching people to love. Right. You know, the other interesting thing um, is actually two chapters later, Jesus uh, refers back to to this whole episode. Um, and, and this is after they, this is when they, I think after they feed the, the 4,000. Uh, and I'll read it to you. This is in Mark 8, verse 14. It says, um, and again, this is Jesus. I think in feeding the 4,000 is referring back to when they fed the 5,000. And this is what he tells them. It says, uh, now they had forgotten to bring bread and they had only one loaf with them on the boat. And he cautioned them saying, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet re- uh, perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having your eyes, you do not see, and having your, your ears, you do not hear, and you do not remember, when I broke the, when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, and how many baskets full, full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to, they said to him, 12. And, and the seven uh, for the 4,000, and how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? Now, this is, gets a little trickier because, again, there's no apparent answer. But what Jesus warns the apostles of is basically, don't be like the Pharisees who basically don't believe in him. Don't believe in him the way that he sort of has presented himself. And don't fully understand him. And he's basically saying, like, don't be like them. Do you not understand? Like, look at, you're thinking about bread, but why would you even think about bread when you saw what I did? Bread is the the least of your concerns. Right. And this basically comes after the Pharisees challenge him after he performs a miracle. And so, again, I think part of, Part of what's at stake here, I feel like, is a little bit of unbelief, is a little bit of, and, and again, I think the issue, and I was also reading this, that the whole expression of 
being hard-hearted usually means like somebody who's stubbornly it just doesn't want to learn like you don't want to listen to anything but that doesn't doesn't necessarily seem to be exactly the case here because what seems to be the problem here is that they're not understanding like there's a certain there there is a certain degree of ignorance of the fact that they they're just not able to fully wrap their minds around this whole issue and so it's not i don't necessarily think that the disciples were being stubborn and they didn't want to believe in jesus part of me feels like they just weren't able to that their thinking was being challenged in such a way that they just they just didn't compute yeah yeah i i I just can't get over the mindset of how different this would have been that at every step of the way, Jesus is changing everything that they know. Dead people are dead. They do not raise from the dead. Right. And it here's somebody who's changing the rules. Um, you don't argue with the Pharisees that they know the rules. And yet here comes Jesus challenging them that later on he'll walk on water you don't walk on water. Right. <laughs> and so th- their, their minds are unable to know what to do with this. And I think that it did take that time to sit back and, and be able to reflect and, and some years to, to be able to let it sink in. Oh, that's what he was talking about. How did I miss all that? I also think that, that it talks about, um, the Holy Spirit gives us understanding yeah. and they hadn't received the Holy Spirit yet. Right. And so they're going through all these, these situations without the Holy Spirit. And later on, things began to make sense. They began to see what Jesus was talking about. Things began to, to crystallize in their minds later on. As far as their hearts being hardened, it doesn't say it all the time. I wonder if it means more of like in this instance, their hearts were hardened, meaning in this instance, they just missed it. They did not get it, that they were not ready to understand. Um, they mentally weren't in a place to, to see. doesn't mean that their hearts were always hard. Right. Um, I mean, clearly they're doing things that, that seem to indicate that, that they're really behind Jesus and accept who he is. That one of the things that we're going to start talking about here in a second is, is this ability to, to act on what Jesus said, even though they didn't totally understand it. Um, and so clearly there was some humility there. There was some acceptance of who Jesus was. There was some willingness to get behind him and it wasn't completely falling on deaf ears or on hard hearts. in this podcast we're always searching for the perfect segue which you just brought up that's um, what i do <laughs> you're the perfect segue guy <laughs> i write them out ahead of time i say if he goes down this path this is what i'll drop in right so here's the thing as far as much as we're saying hey apostles why didn't you get it at the same time it is pretty impressive that in spite of not fully getting it they still did all these things that required a lot of sacrifice, required a lot of hard work, 
and require a great degree of trust and obedience in Jesus. And the reality is, is that if you read this gospel all the way through, or any of them for that matter, the reality is that really some of them don't fully grasp who Jesus is and what he was here for. And even after the resurrection, some of them still don't get it. Mm -hmm. And all that being said, when you think about all the things, all the things that they willingly live through without not completely getting it, it is worthy of admiration and it is a great lesson in discipleship in that I think especially in a time like ours in which information and knowledge is everything to see this example of these men who, as we've discussed, don't really get it. And yet, man, they did some things that required faith, everything from leaving their families, leaving their livelihoods, following this guy around that had his enemies at some point, them being subject to those enemies for as much as you can sit here and shake your head at the apostles and say, how, how come you guys didn't get it? We have the luxury of reading this in the future and being and seeing it in retrospect and now being able to, at the same time, sort of admire them for their faith and dedication is quite something. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I, I've got this mental picture in my mind of, of them holding up this basket with the, the loaves and the fish in it over their heads and Jesus praying over these things and thinking, all right, what's in here? What's going to happen? And just waiting to see, all right, is something changing? This basket feels like it's getting heavier as he's praying. It feels like, do I, am I feeling more fish in this basket? <laughs> and you want to like, like look and, and see what's happening. Um, and it doesn't say that they did that. Um, and in Matthew's version of the walking on water story that Peter says, you tell me what to do. You tell me to come out to you and I'll do it. And he does. Right. He gets out of the boat and he walks on water. And it's amazing that, that he's willing to do that, that I'm, I will, I will put faith in you. If you tell me to do something, I'm going to do it. And I'm not going to ask questions. And, you know, we kind of, point at his, his, his lack of faith of taking his eyes off Jesus, but he still walked on water, which is unbelievable to me that it happened in the first place and that he was willing to do it and that he was willing to, to say to Jesus, have me come out. And that's actually the way that he says it is, he says, Lord, if it is you tell me to come to you on the water, that that's, that's my proof. Right. It's, I know that you, you're going to do things to and for me and with me that are going to blow my mind. And I expect you, I know you well enough that I'll know it's really you because you're going to ask me to do this ridiculous thing that nobody else would ask me to do. Yeah. And, you know, I think it, it um, and I want to be careful as to how I bring this up because I think there's a very thin line because I think even talking about ministry and talking about 
spiritual growth uh, and talking about reaching out to people and converting people and reaching out to Allah's world. There is a lot of uh, planning that goes into it. I think there's a lot of uh, pondering and questioning what is the best way that we can reach out to this world. How do we present the gospel? How do we present ourselves? Um, what kind of church do we want to build? And I think there's a lot of, um, and in that process, I think there's there's always this hesitation of, we can't go to that group of people, or we can't do this, or I can't talk to that person until I know X, Y, or Z, or until I find out this, that, and the other. And I think there's a great lesson here in that sometimes we just got to do stuff, man. Like, and, and, I, and again, I want to say this very carefully because I'm all for planning and I'm all for being strategic and I'm all for thinking things through. Um, I'm all for all of those things. But in doing all of those things, I think we can get very stuck in the, we won't do anything until we know and until we understand whatever. And yet here is this passage in which people didn't know or understand. And yet they did some pretty crazy things. And I think some of that needs to be present in our lives. That sometimes you don't have the answers. Sometimes you may not even have the best strategy. Sometimes you may not have a full understanding of things. And yet you're just going to go and do it because you're, you're putting your trust in Jesus and you're putting your, yeah. and you're surrendering your will to, I, I feel like God is calling me to do this. And yes, I'm going to sit down and do some thinking. I want to sit down and do something about what's the best way to, to do it. But at the same time, there's also a point in which sometimes you just got to go, man. And you just got to, yeah take a risk and, and, and jump and, and without sort of jump in the dark, you know what I mean? And, and, and I think there's, there's that in this, in what we're talking about here, there's that in the apostles that yes, man, they didn't understand, but man, they did some amazing stuff. And I think, I think that even continues when they're in the book of Acts doing things and sometimes they knew what was coming and sometimes they didn't, but they went all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I was re-listening to uh, the podcast um, from last week um, because I'm that kind of guy. <laughs> um, and if our dear listeners have not listened to the last week's uh, episode with Ronnie Rose, it's fantastic yes. and the man of peace. But anyway, he was talking about and bringing up a point that, Jesus sent out the disciples out to these towns and he said, uh, some of you are going to be successful and some of you won't, meaning that some of these towns will accept you. And if they don't uh, shake the dust off your feet and, and leave, meaning that I'm sending you out and some of you are going to be successful and I want you to go out expecting to be successful. Some of you are going to be going to fail and I still want you to go out and I still want you to do it because you don't know which one of you 
is going to fail and just do it because I tell you to do it. Um, and they did it and they didn't necessarily ask questions. And I was thinking about that phrase of, I, I, I prayed for God to make it clear. And I think, I don't know if God always does make it clear. Right. I think sometimes he just asks us and says, to be faithful, do it. That I promise that I am with you always to the very end of the age. I promise you that. Now go and do. And we so regularly want to have our ducks in a row and, and be sure, okay, so this is how it's going to work. And, and who am I going to meet there? And, and what are we going to do? And how is it going to work? And what's going to happen? And this is going to be successful, right? I don't know. Who knows, Maybe. Right? And so I thought that that was very powerful just in talking about sending out the, the disciples last week. And obviously that carries through with, with this of Jesus saying, look, uh, you take care of them. Uh, can we do this? I don't know, but this is what we got. And I'm going to say <laughs> a prayer. Right. Here we go. Um, and uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, this, this actually reminds me of a story. I tell a lot of stories about my mom. Hey, I appreciate it. <laughs> but my mom, as I've shared before, a woman of a lot of faith. And I think because of that, she always had very crazy and adventurous friends. And there was this one time we went on vacation. Um, and I don't know how my mom met this guy, but he was this guy that basically uh, decided to sort of leave society and become, um, again, I had a very diverse spiritual upbringing, sort of like a Mexican uh, witch doctor kind of mm. thing. It's the best, oh, way I can, <laughs> the best way I can describe it, all right? <laughs> For those of you in the audience, I, my childhood was spent in Mexico and a lot of stuff happened to me while growing up, growing up in Mexico, one of which is that we went on vacation with a Mexican witch doctor. <laughs> and, and so we went on vacation to this, to this little town. Um, I say little, it's a, it's, it's a very well-known town. It's called uh, Tepoztlan, which is, if you're ever in Mexico, it's a beautiful town to visit. I would recommend that you go there. Uh, you get a lot of uh, uh, touristic advice in this here Ether podcast. But we went to this place. Meeting all your needs. <laughs> we cover all the bases here. <laughs> and uh, this place is sort of uh, known, uh, like a lot of people that do meditation and are into metaphysics and all this stuff live in this town, which is why this guy was there. And so we go to vacation to this place, and he, he offers to take us to a waterfall. And we're like, great, we'll go to this waterfall. And so we leave, like I want to say, like at 10 in the morning. And we've now been walking for an hour and it's 11. And I'm at this point, I must be like nine or 10 years old. And I'm starting to get hungry. And everybody else that's on this excursion is starting to get hungry. And so the day before this guy had said, Hey, don't worry about lunch. I'll take care of it. So as a good mom would, she approaches this, this Mexican witch doctor it says like, Hey, my children are beginning to be hungry. What did you bring to eat? And he's like, I didn't bring anything. 
we're going to get what we need once we get to the waterfall. And I hear this and I'm like, man, I'm starving here. Ryan, we walked for like two more. We walked three hours to this place. <laughs> and so I get there and like, as I'm cranky. I'm like, where's this guy taking us? At some point I start thinking that this guy is going to make us into like some kind of sacrifices. Like I'm going to end this day with an empty chest cavity in which my heart used to be. Of course, lead you to the temple of doom. That's right. But we get to this place, right? And it's basically like there was this huge old turn that you had to do to get to the waterfall. Like you could see a little bit from it, but it was sort of like in a, in a ridge creek kind of place. So you had to do this big turn to get to this place. And so we're coming into where the waterfall is and we're on one side of the waterfall. And on the other one, there's like these, there's the three people that are sitting around the fire. And this Mexican witch doctor, as soon as we get there, goes and talks to them. Ryan, these people were cooking tortillas and beans and something they had caught in the wild in this open fire. And they had just finished eating and they had stuff to spare for us. Now, this guy <laughs> didn't plan this. This guy didn't seem like a great planner, but he just took us to this place and was like, don't worry about it. We're going to get there and we're going to have what we need. This wasn't part of his plan. He, <laughs> the guy got lucky is basically what I'm saying. All right. I don't think that this guy had any kind of special power that he made. He willed it so that these people would be there cooking food right when we got there. We got lucky that afternoon. I seem but, to be recalled. A, uh, a similar story of yeah. a certain Mexican mother. Ryan, my, life, shoes. my childhood is full of these stories, man. I'm telling you. But the amazing thing, and again, I'm not telling anybody that's listening to this podcast to go be a Mexican witch doctor, but the spirit of the man, I think is much like the apostles, is a good spirit to have. Like, hey, I don't have all the answers, but we're going to go. And somehow we're going to find people cooking in the wild. <laughs> that was a fantastic story. <laughs> but wow, that was a stretch. I'm telling <laughs> you, man. I'm full of these childhood stories where stuff like this happens all the time. Maybe you should start a podcast telling just stories about <laughs> growing up. My podcast about my Mexican childhood stories. Uh, there you go. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's completely derailed all my thoughts for the rest of the, <laughs> the podcast. Uh, but um, I think that I'm inspired looking at them and what they were able to do. But I think more to me, it just reaffirms who Jesus is and reminds me of the power that he has. And when I get into a, a situation where I'm not really sure what to expect, I do remember the promise that he will be with me always. Yes. And to trust that, I don't know how this is going to turn out, but I know that God is with me and um, I can have faith in all situations. And sometimes that means it's going to turn out well, and I'm going to find tortillas uh, cooking at the side of a waterfall. <laughs> And other times it's not, 
and uh, my bills won't get paid this month or, um, you know, that family member that has a disease is not going to get healed. Um, and I don't know how it's always going to turn out and I don't know why, but I do know that Jesus says he'll be with me every step of the way. And I have to take that for what it is and follow the example that these disciples and apostles set of following Jesus, even when it sounded crazy. Um, what is he telling me in my life on a daily basis about engaging people that I don't necessarily want to engage with or um, situations that I need to address that I really would rather avoid um, or just trusting that he's got this other ridiculous situation under control right? and that it's not up to me. I'll do what I can and then the rest belongs to God. Yeah. And I think, um, I think the other, the other thing, and I sort of want to close with this thought. I think one of the, again, looking at the apostles example, thinking about the power of Jesus, thinking about that sometimes we're sent to places and it's not going to work. I think that there's probably, and I can think personally of, of times that I took a risk and things didn't work. And I think that generally makes us go, I'm not going to take this risk again. And I'm sure that there's many people listening to this podcast who have had that experience in which they try to be bold. They try to be faithful. They try something really radical or they try to really reach out to this person or they had this bold prayer or they had this dream and they did and they and they put all their hope in God per se and things didn't work out the way they wanted and that generally speaking makes us not want to take that risk again yeah and i think one of the things that we learned from the apostles is that their trust in Jesus was such that to their credit they never stopped giving that trust to Jesus in having this spirit of, man, I'm just going to go and I'm going to be bold and I'm going to put my trust in Jesus. We're taking a risk. And I think we need to be the kind of people of faith that will be willing to take that risk again and again, in spite of the result, because the result isn't necessarily the affirmation of, Hey, Jesus was on my side or he wasn't. Sometimes you do things and they just don't work. But yeah. like you said, Jesus said, I will be with you always. And I think that's the part that we need to hold on to. And I think many times we associate one with the other. Hey, this failed. And that means that Jesus isn't with me. No, Jesus is still with you for whatever reason, be it under your control or not. It didn't work out. But you go, man. And even, again, thinking of what comes after this, the apostles later on in the book of Acts go to these journeys, and some of them are successful. They go to certain places, and they get beaten out of town. And, and sometimes they go to places where they didn't expect to have a, little, a great deal of success, and they have great success. But the thing is, is that they continue to go from place to place to see where they could find people who are receptive to Jesus. Yeah. And I think we, and I think you see the roots of that drive and that attitude and that trust in God in what we're talking about here way back in Mark 8. 
In Mark six, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's amazing. I think that there's so much that we can pull out of this, um, looking at Jesus, looking at the apostles and, uh, everything that he does and everything that they did together. I mean, it's, it's why we still read it 2000 years later and the yes. lessons that we can hold on to and why it's given people a lot of encouragement and, and faith for all the years that it has. Um, you and I are just a drop in the bucket. Um, and it's very encouraging. Um, but I love these stories. I love being able to see what they teach me about myself, you know, cause all of these hold up a mirror and it says, what do I believe? And, right. and what am I doing? And how faithfully am I following Jesus? Am I really trusting these difficult passages? How do I handle this one that doesn't make sense or doesn't speak to me right now? What do I do with that? Uh, do I believe everything that he says and do I act accordingly? And do I go when he tells me to go? Um, and so I really have to reflect on who I am. And I, I hope that y'all, as you're listening to this, reflect and think about who you are right. in, in the face of, of these questions. Um, and your heart may be uh, hard at the moment and it may not be hard tomorrow. And it may be hard again the next day, or it may not, but that attitude to keep coming back. I think the thing that Jesus appreciated about the disciples was that they kept coming back, even when they didn't get it, even when something didn't make sense, even when they failed, they kept coming back Yes, and that they never left and they never tossed in the towel. And I think that when we get to that verse about Jesus looking at them and saying, do you want to leave too? I think that's a very powerful and poignant question that he asks all of us that we come to a situation and, and we say, man, I really don't know what to do. And he says, are you going to leave too? Right. I want you to be the ones that keep coming back. Yes. Um, so I yeah, appreciate people, that. Trust Jesus and take risks and do awesome things. And with that, uh, we'll leave you. Thank you so much for listening. This has been the Ether Podcast. We do want to remind you that this is a crowd-funded effort, and we want to thank everybody who supports us. Uh, you can find us on social media at EtherMMC. Thank you so much for listening, and hopefully you've enjoyed this conversation that Ryan and I have had. I know that I enjoyed it, and uh, we'll see you on the next one.